0: What, do you like it with the frosting inside it or anything like, inside it or no? no, no, no. This is the case, wow. okay. Same thing. Excellent. Hey kids, you are dismissed. We have our middle school and high school class today. We've our nurseries open. We got all sorts of stuff going on. Paul, you talked about it being hard to bring people back together. I didn't realize donuts caused this kind of excitement in the auditorium. I think next time you lead worship, just hold up a donut and you'll get the whole room stopped. Well, listen, we are glad to have you. Len, sit down before you get in trouble. Lisa, hit him. Hey, we are glad to have you here this morning. And uh, listen, you know, God is 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 good to us. And, you know, this morning I know that she went with Libby to go serve in children's class. But, you know, uh, Grace Lang was in a car accident this week. And... Um, Her car's not in great shape, but she's around and she's going to be okay. So we're very, very thankful for that. And yes, praise God, because sometimes I think God goes, you know, I do stuff that's pretty cool and save situations. And so thank God for that. But listen, let me open us in a word of prayer and we will go from there. Dear only Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to get into your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are moving, Lord, in us through us lord you're doing wonderful things, and so God, open up our hearts this morning, and Lord, uh, like the song, we say, "May your will be done." in Jesus name, we pray, amen so uh We started last week, the book of Nehemiah. And really, if you missed last week, there's really only one main line that you need to get out of last week. Of course, somebody's going, then why do we have to listen to the other 40 minutes? But knock it off or you'll get in trouble. All right, there's only one main line that you need to remember, and it's this God cannot move in us or through us until we see, think, and feel the things He does. Let me say it again. God cannot move in us or through us until we see, think, and feel the things that He does. How many of you have been through maybe a physical trauma and then when someone talks to you about it, you identify, I I know what you mean, right? Um, Pam has had in the past problems with, with her kidneys and had several operations. And the other day I'm out shoveling and I see my neighbor who I don't see that often. And I thought, you know what? I shoveled my share of the sidewalk, but you know, I'm gonna go the extra mile. So I start shoveling into his area. He comes over and he's a younger guy than me and he's very well built and everything, but he's moving really not well. And I said to him, I said, hey, how's it going? He goes, Eric, I'm gonna be honest, I'm not doing well. He goes, I've had all these kidney problems. I've had surgery once, I gotta have surgery again. And I stopped everything I was doing, I said, listen I watched my wife go through that it's horrible and he goes yeah this is what I get I watch what I eat I watch what I drink I take really good care of myself I work out like crazy and he goes and I'm going to be in surgery again (laughs) I said I know I know I know but I could identify with where he was at We've all had things where we can identify where someone is at. And here's the thing, God sometimes has to do things to say, listen, I want you to see what I see. I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to think about what I think. And God breaks Nehemiah's heart. God breaks Nehemiah's heart for a land that's 800 miles away from him for a land that he's never stepped foot in but God says Nehemiah I want you to know what I feel I want you to see what I see I want you to think what I think and God lays a burden on Nehemiah's heart for Judea but you know Nehemiah's not dumb Nehemiah starts to pray about this and he says, well listen God if I'm going to do something 800 miles away from here I either need you to miraculously move or you're going to have to help me work the system here. Because I serve under a king and I've got all these people that probably would be against what I'm going to try and do. So God you've got to give me favor. And he starts to work on this plan. So let's pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. The title of my sermon this morning is called Do It Scared. Do It Scared. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, the 12th year of King Artises, when wine was brought before him, that I took wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence. Now, I want you to know it's important that you note those dates because it means that Nehemiah has been praying and fasting and and coming up with a plan for four months. And for four months he keeps waiting for an opening with the king. How many of you really struggle with patience? And Nehemiah is going, okay, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today is the day. And nothing, nothing happens. And as a cupbearer, a lot of people think cupbearers were like these lowly guys on the totem pole. No, cupbearers were actually some of the highest guys on the totem pole. Uh, cupbearers would, would be chosen because they were, had outstanding character, that they were smart, that they were trustworthy. Think about it, if a cupbearer got turned, they could kill the king easily. The cupbearer would taste wine, he would taste food, he would make sure things were okay, he was a close bodyguard to the king, he would be in charge of the menu for all of the court. He would have definite influence upon the king. Parents, when your kids want something and they come to their father about it and dad says no, then where do they go? To mom. And if mom says yes, but you gotta get dad on board, then mom comes to try and, how do you say that? Soothe the situation, right? Well, the cupbearer has this, he's got an ear to the king. And he comes before the king and it says that he was sad. You weren't allowed to be sad in the presence of the king. Back then kings were seen as almost these holy entities that just being in their presence should uplift you. Now I always think it's kind of funny that if they were these holy gods, why do they need people to test their food for poison? Nonetheless, here's the thing, these guys were supposed to be Above everything, and that you should just be filled with joy when you came in. So Mary Beth White, who's a diehard Eagles fan, and let's not even talk about what happened. Mary Beth comes into church downcast, but the moment she gazes upon me, she forgets everything, and she smiles and she goes, "I am so blessed to be in the presence of Eric. Well, he come, Nehemiah comes into the king, and he's not got the blessed look. Therefore the king said, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is only but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Nehemiah gets afraid because the king goes, what's up with you? But it's interesting that the king doesn't say, hey, you have a bad attitude. The king says, is there something wrong with your heart? Because you're not physically sick. There's something deeper going on you in you, guys. God opens up eyes. God opens up eyes to what He wants to do. So, and the king's. And he, so he said to the king, "May the king live forever." That's a great line. And Mary Beth said it this morning. When I can't say good morning, Mary Beth. She said, "May you live forever." I just, it's wonderful. May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and the gates are burned with fire? Now, Nehemiah, I think, has been rehearsing this conversation in the mirror for four months. And he's trying to think, how can I say this to not pick a fight, to not point blame, to not do anything, but just stay The actual situation. And so the king goes, what's going on? And Nehemiah says, listen, I'm heartbroken. The place of my forefathers burnt to the ground. The tombs of my forefathers desecrated and destroyed. Of course I feel bad. Now, he draws that through to anyone who would go, well, boy, I I would be upset about that too. And then you see a small miracle. Then the king said, what do you request? Four months. Four months of praying and fasting. And then the king says, hey, what's wrong with your heart? He says and the king goes, what can I do for you? How many of you will share something really, really tough, and somebody goes, gosh, Len, boy, that stinks. Hey, can you go get me something to eat? Right? He could just say, boy, that really stinks. Instead, he goes... What can I do? Sometimes in life you feel like there's things that are burning and you're trying to put it out with a hose. It's wonderful rather than someone saying, boy, it really stinks that this is burning, that they'll say, well, I'll get a hose and I'll help. And the king says, well, Nehemiah, what can I do? How can I help? And it says, so Nehemiah said, so I prayed to God to the God of Heaven." I think he fired up a really quick prayer. Our three for the road, number one, let's make it hit home. Where God guides, He provides. Where God guides, He provides. It's an old saying, but it's so true. Listen to what David writes. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. HE ONLY IS MY ROCK AND MY SALVATION, HE IS MY DEFENSE, I SHALL NOT BE MOVED, AND GOD IS MY SALVATION AND MY GLORY, THE ROCK OF MY STRENGTH AND MY REFUGE IS IN THE LORD, I WILL WAIT UPON THE LORD, BECAUSE THE END RESULT IS, EVEN THE BEST LAID OUT PLANS OF MAN ARE FAILURES COMPARED TO GOD, SOLOMON SAYS, For the greatest knowledge of man is foolishness compared to God. Winning on the Lord is one of the hardest principles in Christian life. I know so many young believers that get totally derailed. As soon as they get into a situation, well, I prayed and nothing happened. And I think Nehemiah would say, well, did you really pray? How long did you pray? Did you give time for God to work other situations? Waiting on the Lord is difficult. God's plan often requires multiple people to have a softening of a heart. God softened Nehemiah's heart. And while Nehemiah is praying and fasting and wondering, like, all right, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? God's going, I am working on multiple things here, Nehemiah. And one of them is that king. I'm working on him. Think about Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, it's just before the crucifixion. And Jesus celebrates Passover with his disciples. And for the first, and he lays out, you know, hey, I'm going to be betrayed. He lays out the crucifixion. He lays out communion for the first time with his disciples. Does anyone know what the brilliant disciples did right after they left there? Luke 22:24. Now there, was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. You want to talk about not being ready? Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. The betrayer is in this room. I will be betrayed. I will be crucified three days later. I will rise again. I want to take communion with you. We are one. And the disciples listen, 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 do all that. Then they walk out, and the first thing they do is go, Yeah, I think I'm probably the greatest here. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine what was going through Jesus' mind when he hears these dum dums talking like that? We need to wait for God, not only to prepare us, but to get those around us prepared. In 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 it says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should have repentance." So he says, listen, now this is talking about salvation, but the point of it is, is do you realize that we worship a God who stands outside the realm of time? God doesn't get old. God doesn't change like our minds like we do. He's not human. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man. Does God speak and not act? Does God promise and not fulfill? And we tend to think, well, God, we need you to do this on our terms. And he's going, no, we're going to do it on my terms. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 2, Solomon writes, Walk prudently. When you go to the house of God and draw near to hear, rather than to give sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. Let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let your words be few. Where God guides, he provides. And a lot of times, while we're waiting for God to provide, we start complaining. And we start getting grumpios. When the kids would wake up in the morning and sometimes they weren't in good mood and they'd be eating breakfast and I say, Good morning. I'd say, Are you having Grumpios? I'm not having Grumpios. You have Grumpios. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate it day and night, so you observe to do according to that is written in you for when you make the, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage, do you not be afraid or dismayed? The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And these are tough things where God guides, He provides. Three for the road, number two, follow the Lord and expect challenges and trouble. Follow the Lord. And expect challenges and trouble. So Nehemiah, listen, during these four months of praying and fasting, I think Nehemiah probably had a notebook where he started sketching out a plan. And he's just waiting for God to open an opportunity. He's, he's not trying to manipulate the opportunity. He's not trying to be obnoxious about the opportunity. He's waiting for God to open a door. And God opens the door and the king says, what do you want? And Nehemiah goes, I am so thankful you asked. And he pulls out something probably. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant is found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judea, the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Now I think this is the thing Nehemiah I think is pretty smart. He mentions Judea. Now it is true, remember I told you the kingdom had split and Judea is in the southern part of the kingdom. But he's talking about Jerusalem, but he doesn't mention Jerusalem. And the reason he doesn't mention Jerusalem is Jerusalem, to the Persians and the Babylonians who they had conquered, Jerusalem would be a sign of the Jews rebellion. Nehemiah is not rebuilding Jerusalem to start a war. he 's following God 's commandment. Then the king said to me, and the queen also sitting beside him, "How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I said to him a time. He lays out the game plan. He's got a plan. No one wants to hear, how many people have ever gone to have your car worked on and they give you an estimate could be anywhere from $200 to $20 million, somewhere in there. It's crazy. I remember one time taking my car in to get something done. The guy says, this is going to be about $150. I came to pick it up. and He's like, oh, it's $475. What happened to the $150? He goes, that was inaccurate. That's not good. We need to be accurate. And he's accurate with this. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, the Euphrates River, that they may permit me to pass till I come to Judea. So he's thought this through. Hey, listen, I got to go 800 miles as basically a slave. I am the king's cupbearer. So I have some notoriety, some popularity, some power, some authority. But the end result is, is I'm going to be traveling somewhere and there's going to be people who are going, who are you and what are you doing? So he says, can I get some hall passes? And a letter to Aspha, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. He sees that God's hand is upon him. He asked for these things. And here's the thing that I think. A lot of people think the king might be put back, like, wow, this guy's kind of pushy. But I believe the king went that's why he's my cupbearer right this is one sharp guy then he went to the governor's governors in the region beyond the river he gave them the king's letters now the king has sent captains of the army and the horsemen with me because guess what the king says hey listen this guy is tremendous value to me So I don't want something bad happen to him. So he calls together some of his soldiers and some of his troops and some of his captains and says, hey guys, listen, you don't have to do the work of whatever he's talking about, but I do want him to return alive. And I'm holding you guys responsible for that. So these guys are kind of like the reverse of a saving Private Ryan. Don't let Private Ryan die. That's their job verse 10 though, there's always trouble. When Sandibal the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Interestingly enough, they're both Jews of the tribe of Judea. Let's make this hit home. Follow the Lord, expect challenges and trouble. There are always people stirring up trouble for God's people. And I don't mean just the Jewish nation, although the Jewish nation has its troubles. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to have challenges and troubles. In, 19, in the, During World War II, World War II uh, Adolf Hitler convinced many Germans that the problem in the German society was Jews. And so he went on this campaign to eradicate Jews in Germany. Now I want to tell you how stupid this sounds. The population in Germany at that time was 80 million people. Out of the 80 million people, 525,000 were Jews. So what you're saying is that 0.75, not one point, 0.75 was the problem for this entire country. That the 79.5 million, if we could just get rid of that 0.75 population, we would be okay. Follow the Lord, expect challenges and troubles. I was thinking about something the other day, and I think that this is a microcosm of life. One of the things I've done more than I can count is I've done a lot of funerals. And every funeral I've done falls into one of three categories. And if you think about it, these categories are the same categories that all of life exists in. So Category number one, I've done funerals where there are few, if any, believers in the room when I get up to speak. These would be funerals that a funeral home just says, hey, they want somebody to come in and give a religious message. I've gotten those, those phone calls. Hey, uh, Pastor S- 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 Eric, I was wondering if you could come and give a religious talk at a funeral. Okay. And I'll do that because, listen, if somebody says you can stand in front of a bunch of people where it's really socially disapproved to get up and leave, okay. (laughs) I mean, if they're going to put me in a room next to a dead body and say, you can say whatever you want, no one's going to get up and move, all right. So I'll go and do it. That's funeral number one. Now, most of the people who come to those funerals usually don't have much interest in anything that I'm saying. They are indifferent to it. They're more interested in sharing poems, positive thoughts, and getting to some luncheon afterwards where they're interested in drinking a lot. Funeral number one. Funeral number two is the ardent non-believer funeral. And I don't know how sometimes I get tagged into these things, but every now and then, have you ever been in a group of people where you distinctly feel like you are not wanted there or liked there? I always try and take Pam to those funerals with me because then I at least have one person who is looking at me like, I still love you. (laughs) Because you get up and you start talking and listen, I would rather people say things to me. It's the nonverbal messages you get. (sighs) Uh, Or the classic. Funeral number two. They really don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it at all. And not only do they not want to hear it, they're kind of angry at you that you believe it. How many people have ever met that kind of non believer? That you say, hey, you know what? Oh, Len, what do you do? Oh, I go to church. Oh my gosh, that's the dumbest thing. Why would you do that? And it's like, I didn't tell you to go. I just said, I go. Right? And they're very, very, so that's funeral number two. Funeral number three. These are the best funerals. These are the funerals where there's a lot of believers in the auditorium. So last Saturday, I got to do a funeral for Lee's mom, who passed away, 98 years old. Amazing. Lee, how old are you? So you got a ways to go here, buddy. We got another 20-some years. But the point is, is there was a lot of believers in that room. And Rob led a couple of songs, and people really sang. And let me tell you something. You know that someone's a believer, when they come in in like a wheelchair, and then Rob says, hey, if you can stand." and I'm watching people get out of wheelchairs to stand and sing praise to God, I'm going, okay, this is pretty good. And then I start saying things, and people, amen, yeah, amen, yeah, yeah, yeah amen, amen. And then afterwards, people come up and talk. But if you think about it, that's life, If you go to Wawa today, you could run into all three of these crowds in one place in one moment. The people are going, oh yeah, he's just one of those religious wackadoos, it's fine, harmless, he's a nice guy. The people who think you're an absolute moron and want to debate you about it, and then the people are like, praise the Lord. And it's exciting. But the point of it is, is we should expect this. And we should be prepared for it. Nehemiah is prepared before the king with a great plan. We should be prepared to give an answer to the Lord, but we should be prepared to go, hey, I'm going to walk into a situation and there are going to be people who are indifferent, angry at me, or believers. And why should we be shocked that it would be any different? That's how it's going to be. And Nehemiah knows, hey listen, when I do this I'm going to run into people who are going to go, praise God, we're rebuilding the city. People are going, well, whatever you want to do. And then people are going to do, no, you're not. No, you're not. And I'm going to do whatever I can to cause trouble. Let's finish this up. Three for the road, number three. Do it scared. Nehemiah 2, verse 11. So 800 miles. Can you imagine this journey on either a horse or a donkey? Woo! So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there for three days. There's something about three days. Then I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put on my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. When it says that he didn't tell anyone what he was doing, when he arrives at Jerusalem, and here come all these soldiers and all these supplies, the Rift raft that are living there are going, What what is this? And Nehemiah is very careful not to say anything. As believers, sometimes we can wear our heart on our sleeves, and we need to be careful about that. Don't reveal what God's laid on your heart with just anyone. And Nehemiah is gonna scout around. And he went out by night through the valley gate of the serpent well, the refuse gate. And viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates had been burned with fire. And I think everything that Nehemiah thought and felt in his heart, that God had broken his heart, now he's seeing it in person. And he's walking, and he's stumbling over stones, and he's seeing things. And then maybe every now and then, there's a little piece of the temple, and he goes, this must have looked beautiful. But now it's just shattered and broken apart. So I went by night to the valley and viewed the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate, and so I returned. He makes a big circle around it. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or others who did did the work. So he doesn't tell anyone what's going on. And he does it at night. Why? So no one will follow him. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus, when did he come? By night, so no one knew. Nicodemus does this by, or Nehemiah does this by night, so no one knew. Then he said, now he addresses them. You see the distress we are in, and now listen, if you ever want to study communication and how to effectively communicate, these three verses, Nehemiah is a scholar. Because he gathers up all these people and says, hey, I'm sure you're wondering what I am doing here. So let me tell you why I'm here. You see the distress we are in. Who's in distress? We. He doesn't say, hey guys, you have a real mess here. Nehemiah could easily say, hey, you know what, guys, pack up, forget about this. This is such a disaster. I don't want to be involved in this. I got a great job back in Persia. I'm just going to go do that. No, he says, guys, we have a real problem here. You see the distress we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and the gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Now, he says something kind of outrageous, let's rebuild the wall. This has been tried 100 years earlier, it didn't work. Nehemiah says, let's rebuild the wall, but then he puts a master word in it, so we may no longer be a reproach. Reproach means a disappointment. Do you know sometimes, instead to telling people that this is ugly and it's awful and it's wrong, inspire them to what's right. And here's what Nehemiah says, you ever wonder if he went, hey guys, look at this mess. What if David was here? Would he tolerate this? What if Solomon was here? Would he tolerate this? We're better than this. Why are we living like this? We can do more. Do we want people to laugh at us? Do we want people to mock us? More do you want them to mock your God? How many people, when you hear the Lord's name used in vain, that people will apologize to you like, oh, I'm sorry I said that. But you're not really offended for yourself. Why does it offend you? Because that's my God's name. Do you remember when David went storming down into the valley of Elah and and Goliath is there? And what does David say to him? You come to me with sword and sling, but I come to you in the name of the living God whom you have defied. Do you know what you're talking about, big guy? Because I got a stone with your name on it. So listen to what he says here. So step one, he tells them, listen, we're in a mess. He includes himself. Step two, he says, do we really, is this our best we can do for God? Then, step three, and I told them of the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and also that the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us arise up and build. And they set their hands to the good work. Listen to what he says. Guys, this is master work. The first thing he says is, I'm in it with you. The second thing he says is, Listen, we don't want to dishonor God, we're more than this. We can do better. And then the third thing he says is, God's already moving. I went to the king. You know that wicked, evil, horrible guy? Well, that's my boss. And he gave me all this lumber. And he gave me permission. And these guys are here to guard my life. So what I'm telling you is, I'm not telling you that we have to raise the dead. What I'm telling you is, God's on the move. And jump on, get involved. And these guys let's, let us rise and build. So they set their hands to the good work. Now, verse 19, But then when Sandoval the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Gersh- uh, Geshem the Arab heard of it, They laughed at us and despised us. What does Mark Twain say? He says, against the assault of laughter, nothing can stand. Now he meant that in a way that humor is a good thing. But how many of you have ever been laughed at, not laughed with? How many people have ever really been made fun of? Really been ridiculed? Much of us want to say, I I used to, during all my years of youth ministry, I'd hear kids say, that doesn't bother me. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. No one wants to be ridiculed. No one wants to have people tease them or mock them. And these guys start laughing. And the worst part about it is, two of them are Jews who are brethren of Judea. And they're there. And they bring in a foreigner with them. And everyone's making fun of them. What is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So they not only laugh at Nehemiah, but then they throw this little subtle thing in. Oh, are you trying to start a rebellion? Because if you start this rebellion, well, they're going to come and And I almost feel if I were Nehemiah and say, they're going to come and what? Burn something down? Destroy something? Guys, we're living in a dumpster right now. WHAT COULD POSSIBLY HAPPEN TO US? BUT YOU KNOW WHAT NEHEMIAH ANSWERS BRILLIANTLY. SO HE ANSWERED THEM AND HE SAID TO THEM, THE GOD OF HEAVEN HIMSELF WILL PROSPER US, THEREFORE WE AS SERVANTS WILL ARISE AND BUILD, BUT YOU HAVE NO HERITAGE OR right, OR MEMORIAL IN JERUSALEM. YOU KNOW WHAT HE SAYS TO him? HE SAYS, GUYS, YOU'RE NOT EVEN FOLLOWERS. YOU'RE NOT EVEN FOLLOWERS OF THE LORD. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample it under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Listen to what he says in Matthew 15. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Nehemiah's not going to mess around with these guys. He's not going to throw his wisdom, he's not going to throw his pearls before swine. Have you ever had something that's very valuable and precious and given it to someone else and they didn't take good care of it? It's awful. You don't like that. Let's make this hit home. Do it scared years ago I served in ministry with a woman named Lisa. And Lisa and I worked shoulder to shoulder in youth ministry for many, many years at various capacities. She used to use this term to do it scared. Her point was that if God called you to do something, it was all right if you were scared. I love how I'll meet these Christians who go, oh, well, you should never fear. Have you, how many of you have never had fear? Right? Every one of us has fear. Her point was, if God's calling you to do something, it's all right to be scared. In fact, being scared will help you to keep focused on Christ and will really liven up your prayer life. We talked Wednesday night about prayer, and every single person identified when was their prayer life the most vibrant, when they're in the middle of it, something rough. Boy, I'll tell you what, prayers come alive then. Her examples would say maybe it's sharing a testimony with someone. Maybe it was serving in a ministry that you felt out of your comfort zone. Maybe it was committing financially to something when finances were tight. Maybe it was walking through a serious illness or caring for end-of-life care for a parent. When my friend Lisa was in her early 50s, she started having all sorts of physical problems. I remember that she had some crazy autoimmune problem. And I remember her, she would take medicine and do these different things and then I I left my position at that church and I I came here and I remember I saw her not long after, she was in a wheelchair, she lost her ability to walk, the medications she was on were causing all these effects, her body was literally swelling up. But through it all this woman still led Bible studies on Zoom, Bible studies on Facebook, right things, prayers. Please text me. What can I be praying? Emails. Through it all, she continued to minister. She did it. She was scared. And in October, 20, October 2021, at the age of 55, God called her home. For Pam and I, there's a lot of things that I think we look back and we go, we did it scared. There are a lot of things where people should, would say to us, You should raise your kids this way. I wouldn't do that. But Pam and I felt like, well, but this is what God's laid on our heart. We'll do it scared. There's a lot of things that we do in life. We have to do it. We have to do it scared. But you see, here's the thing. God's going, listen, Eric, I understand that maybe you're scared, but I want you to know I'm further ahead of the trail on you. I'm guiding you. I will provide you. Eric, there's going to be trouble, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be people who are not on board with what you're doing, there's going to be people who are indifferent, but there will be some people who will come alongside of you, God didn't say, hey Nehemiah, Go figure this out and build this huge wall. No, next week we're going to find out God raised up some other people while God was softening Nehemiah's heart, while God was softening the king's heart. God was changing the hearts of people living in Judea and revving them up and getting them ready. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. i will close us with this idea. You know, a lot of Christians... I feel like their relationship with God gets stuck in neutral. I used to have an old stick shift car, and at one point, it started having so many problems that sometimes it was hard to even get it to shift in the gear. And I would be in my driveway, and the engine's revving, everything's going all right, radio's playing, everything, but it just can't get it to move. And I feel like there's Christians who they really do believe, but whatever's going on. They don't really believe that God will provide. They don't really believe that God is guiding. Then on top of it, trouble comes and they bump into the indifferent crowd. They bump into the antagonistic crowd, but they don't do enough to get themselves around the believing crowd. I have a lot of friends of mine that are Christians. I really believe they're believers. And for whatever reason they have totally disconnected from church. And I'm going to tell you something, if you disconnect from church the crowd of the indifferent and the crowd of the antagonistic will grow immensely large. And you'll literally become the most depressed Christian you know. And you can still be reading scriptures, you can still be praying, but I'm telling you if you are not rubbing shoulders with a good group of believers Satan will neutralize you very quickly. And then finally, I think that there's a lot of people who live out there and they struggle in these things and it defeats them, it shuts them down, and they miss what God has for them. You know what the sad thing is? When Nehemiah gives this speech, it's his own brethren who don't see the hand of God. And so many people are followers of Christ and they don't see an obvious movement of God because they're spiritually tone deaf and they just miss out. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to close us. But I hope today that you're pushed. I hope that you know that God is guiding you and He will provide. I hope you know that there's going to be challenges and trouble. And I want you to know that if you're a little bit scared, that's okay. Because sometimes I think my best prayers have been when I'm going, God, I really don't know. And he's going, that's all right, Eric, I do know. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for my friend Lisa. I miss her, Lord. I, I just think there's people we meet in life who are truly set apart, and Lisa was one of them. And I'm thankful for the role she played in my kids' lives, my family's life. I'm thankful for her kids who I had an opportunity to do two of their weddings and do ministry and life together with their sons. And Lord, amazing men they are. But Lord, I pray that I would keep that message that she gave me about do it scared, Lord. And do it scared doesn't mean that I don't believe you'll provide. It doesn't mean that you're not guiding. It doesn't mean that I'll get overcome by challenges, Lord. It just helps me be aware that this is reality. Do it scared, Lord. Lord, I pray that there's people in this room, Lord, who maybe there's men here today who are thinking, should I go to that men's thing Saturday? I pray that they would do it scared and come and realize that they need fellowship. Lord, one of the worst things I've read in recent weeks is the highest suicide rate is among men. And I think it's because they're not connected. So I pray if there's any men here. I pray for the women's retreat that we have coming up in just a few weeks after that. And Lord, I know that there are women who are struggling with different things, Lord. And so often, I just think you're saying, get together. Come together. Worship, learn, grow. It's not rocket science, Lord. We miss so many of these opportunities. So, Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this time. And, Lord, bless us, Lord. Guide us. Show us. Lord, like we prayed last week, lay on our hearts what's on your hearts. Lord, help us to see, think, and feel the things that you see, think, and feel. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.